Hello and welcome. My name's Dr. Joanna Bucknell, and you're listening to episode 32 of Talking About Immersive Theatre, or TATE for short, which is T-A-I-T, just so that there's no confusion there whatsoever with another kind of TATE. Uh, so this episode comes to you from the very heart of the West End, where I chat to Neil Connolly about his extraordinary career. So pursue the heavy velvet drapes and get stuck in. I'm here uh, with Neil Connolly, one of the creative directors at Immersive Everywhere. So hello, and thank you very much for hosting me. <laughs> it's all right, don't worry about it. Very nice to have you here. And uh, we're here in the West End on the set of Great Gatsby. Mm -hmm. So actually we're sitting, you know, full disclosure here, we're sitting on lovely, old, comfy sofas. Yeah, you've got a lovely Chesterfield uh, double sofa. Uh-huh. And I've got like a very, very kitsch kind of 1920s. <laughs> Uh, armchair. This is actually the most comfortable chair I've ever had. While actually, this is the most comfortable chair I've sat in in this building. <laughs> uh, and nice. we're we're surrounded by deep red velvet curtains <laughs> and gold brocades, so we are in absolute splendour, which yeah. is really rather lovely. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the allusion to the uh, the lunar cinema in the in the Gatsby books. Mm -hmm. um, so this is kind of our little secret hideaway. Um, but yeah, we're on the set. And it's really wonderful to be back on a set as well because now I, I have to record a lot of these episodes and obviously for the last two years over Zoom. So it's really wonderful to be in a creative space actually talking about making creative work. Which yeah. I, think is I mean, I think lis listening back to your episodes, I think the last time you might have been on a set was with Nick Olivero. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Over at Mr. Tipsy's Mr. Tipsy Down the Hatch. Down the hatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 God, yeah. Oh, I miss yeah. Nick. Which is a while ago now, yeah. so, so Neil, it was I was like picking through, and I'm like, where do we start? So the first <laughs> thing I wanted to say is actually we did talk in 2018. Yes. And I was very heavily pregnant. You were. Congratulations. Thank you. He's three and a half now. <laughs> Can you believe that? In fact, he's right now while we're sat here talking, he's having his his first visit to preschool. Oh, that's wonderful. Which is mad, yeah. isn't it? So it's it's terrifying. So in some ways, I'm kind of glad I'm not there because it's, it's as a mum, I'm like I can't, don't think I can handle that. Yeah, it's like a shivering wreck. <laughs> and uh, so it didn't go out for for a whole host of of, of reasons. But actually, in some ways, I'm kind of glad because I think your career yeah. trajectory has been extraordinary, actually, <laughs> since we spoke and where you are now. I yeah. think there's so much we can... In fact, there's there's going to be way too much that we can possibly fit into the time that we have because sure. we both have mad <laughs> schedules. But I wanted to start by um, just talking about the journey that initially from Rose Brew, which is where yeah. you trained, isn't it, in acting? Yeah, I did the BA honours, yeah, mm -hmm. acting, yeah. To then getting into immersive. So what was that journey from sort of traditional actor, conservatoire actor training yeah. into sort of immersive? Because you started, am I right, with... Um, Lab Collective. Lab Collective, Nat and Joe. Nat and Joe. Yeah. Way, way back when. Yeah, well, we were, we, yeah, we went to uni <laughs> together. I lived with Natalie for 13 years. Uh, actually, <laughs> Natalie was the... When I, when I arrived in the UK... Uh, it would have been 2004, um, we stayed in the Halls of Residence uh, for Greenwich, uh, which uh, Ross Bruford had uh, an association with. And I arrived like really late on a Thursday night, I think it was, sort of got off a plane. And I got to this uh, Halls of Residence and I was really late arriving because I was trying to deal with loads of other stuff in my life. Um, and then I kind of barged into this flat at like nine o'clock in the evening. <laughs> uh, 
and um, I, all I heard with this voice being like, hang on, hang on, I think I think my new um, housemate's just arrived. I'll call you back. And then Natalie stepped out of this doorway with pointing down her mobile phone. I was like, hello, I'm Neil. Nice to meet you. I'm going to be living with you for a while. Uh, and she was like, hello, I'm Natalie. And then we just, we lived together all through uni. We moved into a house together. Um, her and Joe set up the Lab Collective um, just before we graduated. And then I was kind of making work with them for a while. And then mm-hmm. after about a year or two, I, I asked to join the company formally. And then I did and kind of tracked mm-hmm. on through that. But to answer your question, uh, it kind of started before I even went to uh, Bruford. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I was born and raised in Dublin City. And then I moved to the countryside, to a place called Kildare. Um, and uh, I was struggling to make friends. So I joined uh, a youth theatre um, that had just been set up. Um, full disclosure, the reason why I joined it is because I really fancied a girl that was in it. That's fair uh, enough. That, isn't that why most of us do things in those sort of formative years, is, is chasing some, yeah, someone yeah. or other? Um, so she was like, oh, I've joined this like club. It's a youth theatre. And I was like, theatre? What's that? I'd never been in a theatre in my entire life. Uh-huh. Like, I, like, I'd never seen theatre. I'd never been in a theatre. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what theatre was. I didn't know what a show was. I had, wow. I had no idea. I was, I think I was about 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, I've joined this youth theatre. So uh, joined that and there was nine of us. And uh, we uh, were uh, just uh, just doing some workshops at first. And then our first production was A Midsummer's Night's Dream, um, which was genuinely quite a lot of fun. And the mm. first show I ever appeared in and, uh, you know, kind of brings a tear to the eye. Um, but... I spent a few years in that youth theatre and then eventually kind of graduated through to the, it was attached to a, a theatre company, which is called Crooked House, run by a gentleman called Peter Hussey, who is, you know, he's kind of, him and my history teacher from school, were who were also friends, um, were kind of the two catalysts of kind of going, you should do this for a while because you, you, you have a lot of energy. I don't know if I was any good at it. <laughs> Genuinely don't know if it's any good, but they're like, you have a lot of energy and you seem to like want to do this. Um, and the great thing about Crooked House is, um, and Peter, he did a lot of surrealist work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, like, I, I just, you know, like mm-hmm. mind wandering off in tangents. Um, so I kind of started with them. And at the same time, because Peter was instrumental in getting this, uh, it was called Riverbank Art Centre built in this town. Um, there was another guy who worked behind reception. His name was VJ Bateson, um, who ran a street theatre kind of carnival mm-hmm. company called Artastic. Um, and he was like, hey, you've got loads of energy. Don't know if you're any good at this, but do you want to like learn to be a stilt walker and a puppeteer and all this kind of stuff? So I then spent all of my weekends either in a rehearsal room or workshop with Peter or in some kind of like disused library by the run by the council making puppets and then in the back of a van with Fiji driving around <laughs> bits of the country making weird bits of street there um so i kind of had this very weird dichotomy of like community based youth theater mm-hmm. with surrealist um professional theater and then loads of like carnival work and street there mm-hmm. um which then I went and did a classically trained conservatoire. Yeah, I was going to say act, acting, acting course. Acting with a capital A. I stuck a. out like a sore thumb did on that you? course. <laughs> I stuck out like a sore thumb. Everybody was just like, "Where do I stand? What do I say? Um, What's my motivation?" Yeah, all that kind of nonsense. <laughs> and I was like, "Ensemble, let's do some physical theatre." Blah, blah blah blah. And you know, uh-huh. I spent most of the time breaking off. And this is how Natalie and I became really good friends because we lived together. But I used to like break into 
like her classes, like yeah, on her they course. Did a they did was it the European. So Natalie did European theatre arts, yes. which was far more interesting yeah. than what I was doing. <laughs> so many people have a connection yeah, in yeah. this section, yeah. in this sector, with that course. But it's also because the the reason why I admired the uh, DTA course, especially since Tom Wilson took it over, who I think you also know. Um, is that they bred theatre makers. Like, yes. It was people who were coming out of university being like, I'm going to make theatre. Yeah, intelligent, what... critical, yeah, reflective yeah, yeah. theatre makers. Uh, yeah, like, you know, I'm creatively driven, but also, like, not commercially minded. That's kind of the wrong way of putting it. Um, but like, they were like, I'm going to set up a company and I'm going to be a theatre company. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, anyone coming out of the BI Honours actors, I mean, none of them will be listening to this, so I can slag them off. <laughs> I don't talk to any of them anymore. <laughs> Um, and I think they all left the industry um, which is why the ETA people are still in the industry but the actors are not anyway they were mm-hmm. like I'm just going to like do the TV and, and I did that for years and audition just, audition audition yeah which is great and it's fine and I don't denigrate it in any in any way whatsoever like it just didn't interest me and I, I wanted to create work and mm-hmm. it just kind of led me through to here so yeah so the, the short answer is I was kind of doing I had this weird section of my life before university then went and classically trained and then met Natalie and Joe and everyone else that has probably been interviewed on this like Dean Rogers is my best friend yeah yeah Martin Cole Becky Brown uh-huh. Oscar it's so incestuous Bertie it's not incestuous we just like <laughs> we just all know each other we all have pints <laughs> Uh, creatively incestuous yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's um, sort of like a boiling pot isn't but it but then like that all came in the later years I suppose um, so yeah I kind of yeah I had that kind of weird track and then that's kind of how I kind of got into it I suppose um, but that's a very common because it's so interdis- interdisciplinary yeah I think and, and that's the thing about this form uh, it slips through and that's why I think sometimes it slips through funding gaps it slips through identification yeah. gaps because it's so interdisciplinary. It's a sort of convergence, isn't it, of, of all these sort of different crafts and, and yeah. skills and creative approaches that have to come together yeah. to make that magic. Yeah. And I think most of us have come from slightly unusual, started, a lot of us started out in that sort of traditional theatre space, but then have come, yeah. come in through other ways or came through other skills, because I know Nat has an outdoor. Yeah. She comes from outdoor arts as well. And yeah. There's a lot of things from that that I think come to bear yeah absolutely in this space yeah it's yeah it's such a, it's such a strange thing because especially with outdoor arts and everything else like i you kind of i think the cross-section between outdoor arts and what we do is how do you actively engage people so like for years of doing street theater um myself and vijay worked on this theory that you have like a 17 second window mm-hmm. um and the reason why we said that is if we were in an outdoor space and we were static, and somebody came walking around the corner. They would only we would only be in their sightline for seventeen seconds. Or if we were traveling through a space, we would only be in their sightline for seventeen seconds. Yeah. So how do you make theatre that is impactful on that kind of level? But then also then we when we talk about scalability, because you know we were, you know we were working either parades or carnivals or we did a lot of stuff on horse racing tracks in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So we'd be like on the, like on the track side, which could have anywhere between five and 75,000 people on that course. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we want, in terms of the penetration level of our art, we want to be seen by 90% of that 75,000 people. Yeah, of course. So we had to come up with a 17-second rule, but also we wanted to stage moments that are bigger. We're effectively like we became Covent Garden Street Theatre performers. We would devise entire, like, 45-minute-long set pieces that mm-hmm. would actually draw a crowd so instead of holding people for 17 seconds or just that fleeting moment we'd have a 45 minute show yeah um 
and we did it just for the crack because you've got a captive audience of 75,000 people why not get involved yeah and so yeah you have to be kind of really multidisciplinary and just a bit weird um, but also understand I think that's the other great thing of like by having that kind of classical conservatoire uh, training well, I, I feel like I just had an uncut gems or uncut gems <laughs> Conservatoire. Uh, uh, it makes it sound like I went to art school. Uh, I'm the son of a cook and a postman. Um, but um, I think by going and having that kind of like classical training, that's when you're like, it's the classic, like you have to learn all the rules before you can break all the rules. Yeah, I agree. And this is one of the things, um, that this is sort of like double-edged sword and, and we'll talk more about this I think in your current role which is part of that is talent isn't it and finding <laughs> and securing talent um, I find I have to sort of unteach certain things certain theatre crafts yeah. things and theatre skills things that you get taught at conservatoire yeah. so I was the same I had a very early on conservatoire sort of uh, background and I wanted to be a director and then I discovered all this other weird shit and I was like oh my god I, I didn't know this could yeah. be amazing but I find I have to unteach some of that but it's much more about a spirit and creativity yeah. rather than sort of that training but there are some parts of it that are useful yeah. because of like learning lines for example yeah. and and <laughs> understanding how to build character, how to how to do those yeah. sorts of things, I think are really useful. But I think some of the really traditional stage craft things, like don't turn your back on the audience and stand and do it this way yeah, and yeah. project and all the, all those <laughs> sorts of things, aren't very helpful. And I find working with actor actors, uh, conservatoire actors, don't sometimes have a a reticence or reluctance to engage audience mm. or are scared of it because there's usually a bit of a gap and mm-hmm. I, I know if there are any actors listening I apologise if you're not like that it's just my experience has been I've had to kind of go you've got to shake kind of all of that off and find a new way yeah. you're not pretending they're not there anymore yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is what frustrated me the most very early on and what got me into this because you're like what, why why are those people sat being ignored in the dark it's yeah. so bizarre I mean I could dedicate an entire 45 <laughs> minute podcast to just this one particular subject oh I know but it, the kind of the, the way the, the, the way that I break it down nowadays um, because like I've got my little black book mm-hmm. of because there's many many strings to what I do at the moment of course um, and where I am in my career but let's if we just focus on like the kind of performance direction of uh, experiences attractions or shows um, I've got like a little black book of 300 actors mm-hmm. who I know and I've worked with over the course of the years and I've found from all different walks of life whether you know like yeah. there's the festy kids um, I used to be on the impro circuit so I've got like a whole Rolodex of comedians that I can access mm-hmm. um, then there's the kind of like your traditional straight up mm-hmm. uh performers and I like putting all three of those people in the room because they'll learn off each other like the festy kids oh, yeah. festy kids want to get more professional at doing what they're doing but they'll get that from the the kind of traditional folk mm-hmm. the traditional folk want to be better at improvising and kind of engaging with audience yeah. so they'll go speak to the comedians the comedians are just sat in the middle being like everyone around me is really weird and blah blah uh-huh. blah, blah. Um, and it's this, it's really great cross section of these like, these three different groups of people because they're all learning from each other and they're all it's a it's mm-hmm. a huge kind of skill sharing network because effectively performing in this sector is 
it's like being a stand-up comedian, but you're constantly inviting the heckle. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, because I deal with everything through kindness and I disarm people through comedy, um, that's why I use a lot of comedians in my work. Mm-hmm. So I, it's not that the comedians are the ready-made package, because normally what they do as a comedian is if someone heckles you, you have an instant re- retort, which kind of puts that person in their place. Mm-hmm. But I have to then train those comedians to not do that and instead invite the heckle and then build people build back in, up and yeah. invite them into <clears throat> your world. Um, and do everything through kindness, which is way more disarming than kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, showing off. Because again, at at the end of the day, the the people who come to see these experiences or these shows or these attractions, they're the stars of the show. So there's a a great kind of learning and training within Mm -hmm. all of that. And like Festy Kids do a lot of improviser work. They they are face-to-face. But it's, again, kind of like getting that on a more kind of scalability Mm -hmm. and then just beating uh, traditional performers, the the idea of like where do I stand and what do I say out of them, and uh, largely what I find with all three of those groups of people, I spend most of my time directing uh, in these experiences, um, just doing loads and loads of improvisation workshops. Yeah, um, which I find it mad is not taught more at university. It's um, insane. I mean, it's it's about putting them back in touch with their instincts, yeah, yeah, yeah. which were always good because of what they do. Yeah. And so it's just sort of saying all that rigid stuff yeah. has been helpful sort of in building and developing you as a performer. Yeah. And then it's just relaxing those things and, and learning to trust those instincts. And yeah, I think improvisation, I mean, I am quite fortunate because I only get to teach sort of my research areas, really, yeah. which is immersive and gamified experience. And so that's what I spend most of my time doing is is playing with them. Yeah. It's literally just improvising. So just setting up scenarios and sort of going with it. Yeah. But not all courses have that. I know, it's very strange. It's more about the sort of crafted monologue, which has a limited value, I think, in this kind of scenario. Yeah, and then I think the other kind of avenue of attack that, I mean, Natalie, Joe and myself, we spent years kind of like sitting around the kitchen table in our old flat, like after seven bottles of wine kind of theorising about all this kind of stuff and mm-hmm. you know to a large degree it's improvising around a structure yes um, so yeah. I kind of I you know with my performers nowadays I give them the beats of everything I was like these are the key things that you have to do mm-hmm. uh, like here's point A here's point B here's point C yeah. I'm going to give you all of, I'm going to teach you all of the tools that you will need to navigate this scene uh-huh. um, and, and you're going to constantly employ things, them yeah. but it's going to be constantly different every single time but you mm-hmm. are going to to a large degree find your way and navigate through because mm-hmm. weird things are going to go- happen and they <laughs> and they'll just sit there and be like how does that work and I'm like well it's the rule of 3 um because again it's a conversation but you're marshalling this conversation you have to build people up to give them enough confidence if they're not willing to drive a conversation like that it's the rule of three of like ask them a question which is based on your text which I will always write into their text mm-hmm. so that's your first instigate and that's your starter for 10 mm-hmm. um, for those people who will University uh, yeah, be of a, of a certain age um, so that's your starter for 10 and they're like and the actors are like okay cool and the, the public will respond and they're like right you just ask them a question based off of what they have responded to you with cool so there's two questions they're like right and then they'll chat back with you and then you'll ask a third question and then they'll give you another response mm-hmm. and then based off of whatever the response is I don't care what it is but you know what point B is you know the next section that you have to hit mm-hmm. doesn't matter what they say find something in that that will loop it back into point B yeah. and therefore you now have interactive theatre and they in their mind have more agency and creative control over your show um, and are way more involved in that kind of experience not just because you spoke to them but because they feel like you know 
none of my performers in any of my shows ever introduce themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they spend all of their time getting to know everyone else first. Mm-hmm. And I swear, I swear I, I, this is amazing. Every single time that I've done this is that I have a performer find out so much information about everyone else first and then they will try and go off and do the scene and like <laughs> carry on with the show. Uh-huh. And I swear every single time someone in the public will just go, hang on, wait, who are you? Uh-huh. And I know that there's going to happen because I know human nature and I know yeah, human behaviour. Like, yeah, who are you? And the performer knows. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's what, that's the point where they turn around, like, especially when I work with certain performers, they're like, fuck you, Neil. Why did you know that it was going to happen? I was like, I don't know. I've been doing this for a long time. A long time, yeah. Um, and I'm like, they will. They will ask you. And then I've already given them that tool. So they mm-hmm. just have to go, oh, I can deploy this at any point. Oh, they asked me, cool. And then they can answer. Yeah. Therefore, you have interactive theatre. And it takes time, doesn't it, as well? I think the more the more you do it, those instincts from experience, that lived experience, that embodied experience, builds up, doesn't it? And, and oh that, yeah, that and boy, have I lived this! Like, because I performed this work yeah. for years, but like, as well as I've always been a writer and producer. Mm-hmm. I, was, I used to call myself the world's worst producer, and now I'm <laughs> producing some of the biggest shows in the city. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, but like, uh, so like, I'm a writer, producer, director. Yeah. Uh, now. Um, I tend to do less and less of the producing because we have a wonderful producing team here Mm in-house who are incredible. And actor. You forgot actor off that. Conservatoire trained actor. But I don't really do the performing. (laughs) I stopped stopped performing kind of... I I I think I maybe saw you... I saw you... As the devil in the vault. Uh, I was Azazel, who was the yeah, white of the devil. And you were and one of my favourite characters, apart from the little sort of tree fawny character, which I, I fell in love with. Oh, that was Matthew Caltenborn, yeah, who's a so wonderful photographer. Amazing. And yeah, he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant in that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I still have PTSD from that show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw Lamplighters. Yeah. So that and was... I think that was the last thing I saw you kind of, but that wasn't acting that was performing yeah I mean that was that was it was a bit more stand up well yeah so Lamplighters was kind of I took all of the things that I was good at mm-hmm. uh, which was stand up comedy improvisation audience interaction my love for John le Carre mm-hmm. who is my, not only my literary hero but kind of like my, the embodiment of like everything he's just an amazing human being um, and I kind of wrote this love letter to John le Carre mm-hmm. um and the works thereof, but also it was a love letter to this industry mm-hmm. um, and to this sector because, again, while doing a lot, of, like I was on the impro circuit and comedy circuit for a long time, um, as well as like working within this sector, and I was also doing kind of performance art stuff, mm-hmm. and I was also working a lot in cabaret, yes. and doing like like lots of like floor work. While all the amazing cabaret performers did all the stage work, uh-huh. I, they were like, Neil, can you just like piss about in the audience and like yeah. do some floor work? And I was like, yeah, fine, <laughs> great. Um, but within all of that, I was just kind of, you know, and like I was spending a lot of time with like Natalie and Joe and Becky and Matt and Oscar and the Difference Engine boys, John and Andrew and mm-hmm. the Dean and like, and we were just seeing lots of different types of work. And the thing that was really, which was always the thing of some of our shows were getting bigger and bigger and scaling up and accessing new audiences. And whenever I spoke to either members of my family or extended family or friends or whatever, and they were like, oh, no, I'd never go because I don't want to, I don't like interacting. Mm-hmm. And I'm scared of the kind of the environment. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to create an entire show which is built around safe spaces. Yeah. Which is why when, so Dean and I, uh, I wrote the show, Dean directed it, I performed it, and we, we produced it together. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing was about building safe spaces with this skin of Le Carre on top. And so it was really important to me that it was written in the 
in every single press release, in the blurb for the show, and I make an entire speech about it at the top, which is if that you don't want to get involved, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. If you just want to sit and enjoy your drink and watch and experience all of this, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if you do get involved, I promise you'll have more fun. Yes. And then I told people the rules. I told them the rules, like in the middle of the show, well, the middle of the beginning of the show, and one of the rules was is that I will ask for a volunteer in the veil of a job, a spy, a spy job. So I said, I need a bag man. Mm -hmm. And I said, I will wait until somebody volunteers. Yeah. And I would. I would just, I go, and some nights I would have to wait. Other nights I'd be like, can I have it? And people are like, yeah, straight away. Yeah, like a hundred hands up going, me, um, me, <laughs> And it's amazing because you, when you give people that choice and they understand that level of it, then, mm -hmm. you know, it was a way of letting them access the work without actually having to, like, do anything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I had a, I fucking toured that show for two and a half years and I still love it. I miss it a little bit. And probably the only time I ever go back to performing is to do that show do again that show or again, do a sequel yeah. of it. Because um, Dean's constantly like, Neil, can we do a sequel of that show? Um, but you're like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's. Sorry, I went off on a massive no, tangent. I don't know where we are. absolutely fine. Do you think, because um, I've been talking, obviously, we've just had this massive. Uh, immersive experience summit where yeah. there was a lot of different people in the room from across the sector and what it seems to me is this is just going to grow exponentially mm. there's all the evidence suggests that that's the case do you think there's going to become a point and I, sus I suspect so where we need more sort of formal training routes for people because like you said you have you know a little black book of people you go to and everyone I speak to is the same they have sort of a group of people that they trust and that they go to but as we start to see the the industry sort of move forward and keep growing and keep growing with bigger shows that are going to become permanent for long periods of time that are going to need big casts to, you know, more than one cast. Mm -hmm. They're going to need, do you think we need some sort of other routes in, more formal training routes in to start to build some of that infrastructure? Um, so the short answer is yes, uh, which is why uh, here at Immersive Everywhere, uh, Bron and Louis um, have set up an immersive theatre actor training school oh great yeah we've already got one Excellent. Um, <laughs> uh, so we had our first uh, group of actors go through that mm -hmm. um in the last two months um it's wow. still very much in its early days yeah. and kind of just it's starting to understand exactly what it is but it's i think it's interesting and yes i am biased because i work for the company um uh, i'm getting more i mean i've only been here i've only been in post now for two and a half months but like I'm getting more and more involved with that because again I used to do like I've taught at the National Theatre yeah. I've taught at university level I've taught at youth theatre level I've, I've done many many different types of things and it's always in like gamification of theatre playable theatre improvisation yeah. immersive theatre whatever you want to call it blah blah blah, blah. Um, so you know having all of that there the school is good um, it can be a lot better uh, but that's what we're building it towards um, it's by no means formal training in the sense that like we're not attached to a university or yeah, any other yeah. type of school but what we um, are we'll is yeah we'll talk about that later yeah we'll talk about <clears> that later um, <laughs> but what we are is we are a formal very large theatre company I was going to say um, you, know, you are one of the probably most recognisable names 
in the UK for sure, sure. at the moment in this sector. I mean, that, that's, that's very kind that's and just, very humbling. <laughs> but, but I think that is is probably the truth of it. Probably employ the most amount of people. Uh, I don't. Well, or I mean, get, or getting there. Well, we're kind of in terms of the number of people that we do employ. It would be on a similar level to Punch Drunk Secret Cinema, but that's because we have so many shows. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, Punch Drunk. Punch Drunk do one massive show and but that's the thing and then it's yeah. it, it stays for a bit and then it's gone and then there's like yeah, those yeah, big yeah. gaps whereas I think what you're doing here is much more kind of consistent yeah. and constant and sort of acro- and, and very much theatre can I also just say just before we carry on with this point I've definitely just lost a bet <laughs> uh, it's a bet that I don't even know that I have but I guarantee that if any of my uh, industry cohorts are listening to this they've probably gone how long can Neil get through this interview without mentioning Punch Drunk? Because it's something that we all try and do. I know. It's like every single one of us is like, just don't fucking mention them. Don't fucking I know. Them. It's like, just don't say anyway, it. But um, we, we do... <laughs> we haven't said the other one, though. And maybe we can get to the end without saying uh, the other one. Oh, Christ. That gets mentioned all the time. Um, I'm not going to say. Yeah, 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 it's fine. Uh, yeah, um, so, oh God! Now uh, that's just in your in your mouth, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it's just like, like it's there, it's there, and everyone's just like, don't talk about it because everyone talks about it. Anyway, but it's you know it's where a lot of us started. Anyway, um, so we do employ a similar number of people, but that's mm-hmm. also because we have so many different shows. Of like course, you know, yeah. we've got Gatsby running, uh, who has just come down, but is going somewhere else Mm -hmm. Um, I'm currently writing two new productions uh, that are like in pre-production and then we've got a full slate of work Mm. um, that is there (laughs) Uh, which is you know like it's it's a a mountain of work and then we've also because there's the immer- in terms of us as a portfolio, like we have this immersive theatre strand. Yeah. Then we also have the musicals strand. Yes, I was going to say very, very classical West End <laughs> yeah. sort of mo- like model, literally. Yeah. You know the bread and butter for. Yeah. But I love I love a good musical. I love a good musical. But anyone who knows me, I, I I I can't I can't say that I love musicals. Oh right. Okay. I, I'm very. There are some music- I I like Rocky Horror and yeah. I like the sort of yeah. What I don't I I find. I don't know, I find it disconcerting when people just start singing in an American accent for no particular reason. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> right, yeah. And also from a feminist perspective, I have some issues. But it doesn't mean I don't... I'm, I'm a misery and I don't enjoy, like... Yeah, some yeah. musicals are awesome. Sure. But a lot of them do uphold problematic stereotypes. I, I would agree with you, <laughs> uh, but there, is, there are some of them that don't. Exactly. Uh, horses and for courses. Exactly. Even and, saying and that, I went to see do. Only Fools and Horses... Mm-hmm. And because my mate is in it, um, and I even, <laughs> I even said to him like a couple of nights before I went, I was like, "But mate, is it any good? Uh-huh. Like, I know you're in it, but like, is it actually any good?" And he's uh-huh. like, "Yeah, no, it is actually a good musical." I was like, "But it's only Fools and Horses, the musical, mate." And he went, "Yeah." Uh-huh. But anyway, so a couple of nights later, I went to see it. I cried three times, and oh. I came out being like, "That is absolutely Amazing. brilliant!" <laughs> it was genuinely, it's genuinely a brilliant show. And I don't, I mean, I don't like them personally, like taste-wise, but I, they think they have a hugely important role because like, all of my extended family would never come to something like this, but they would, at, yeah. they'd get the bus yeah. and come down and they'd go to musicals. Yeah. You know, so musicals have, I think, a really important role in reaching broader audiences. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we could learn a little bit from some of the things that yeah. they do. But I, I can imagine a future where people are getting on buses coming into London, paying for a whole round trip to come to things like yeah, this. Yeah. I hope, in some yeah. ways, 
probably unless they already are <laughs> and I don't I mean, know about that so that's the kind of thing it's like you know there's so there's so kind of little that I can take credit for here um at this present moment in time because again I've only joined this company and I've only been with them three months mm. um two and a half uh but like when Brian and Louis set up this company um you know there's they they came through making traditional theatre shows and kind of the the West End musicals. Yeah. And then uh, came into the immersive sector. So we've got the musicals, we've got the yeah. immersive theatre. Um, and then, like, we own our own ticketing company, we own our own gin distillery, we own our own series of bars, we own a pub, we own a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like, the portfolio is very, very diverse, um, which just allows us to do more and more things with all of them. Well, and what then, I've been reading recently is actually multi-channel multi-channel businesses are the way forward and yeah. actually are the best model because you don't just have all your eggs yeah. in one basket. You can sort of diversify and have different yeah. income streams. And at times, you know, one hand can feed the other if something's not doing so well, exactly. but something else is doing exponentially well. And, yeah. you know, it's just, it's kind of that. And like, you know, again, I come from a, uh, you know, I come from, uh, well, because again, I've worked for so many different places. Like I've just like, I've left, I was in post at the Crystal Maze for six I was going to bring up, yeah, Crystal Maze and uh, Rogue Productions as well. Yeah. So you have that sort of gaming yeah. or more game-based experience as well. Yeah, so I've never formally... <laughs> so this is the thing. <laughs> so Dean, who owns and runs Rogue, mm-hmm. is my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, it just so happens that we happen to work in the same sector. What we like, we met, we met, <laughs> we, we met, met through, we it. met through yeah. this. Like Dean and I go cycling together all the time. We're actually cycling to France. We're cycling from London to Paris in July. Oh wow! Um, yeah, it's for charity, which is great. Loads we cycled from London. Yeah, lots of sun cream. <laughs> well, we like cycled from London to St Ives last year. Um, I shouldn't be talking about cycling on this podcast. Anyway, no, it's, uh, it's fine. It's for charity. If anybody wants to sponsor us, I'll send you a link. Anyway, um, but give it to me and I'll put it yeah, in, yeah. in the box. Um, like Dean and I met, so because again I used to work for Theatre Delicatessen. Yes, um, and I think most people at some point. Yeah, have been did. through those doors. <laughs> uh, so uh, kind of uh, like we were, we did lots of different shows there, and uh, there was one night because we were associate artists of Theatre Deli, mm-hmm. and there was one night we threw this uh, party, which is just it was a BBC themed party through the years, <laughs> and we invited like anybody who was on the immersive scene Mm -hmm. this would have been 2013 maybe 2012 i think it was late 2012 early 2013 um and uh, like it was you know we were trying to advertise through our various different networks social media whatever blah 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 blah. um and then i was stood at the bar and this guy came up to me and he was like hi are you neil i was like yeah he's like i'm dean i'm (laughs) irish everyone says that because we're irish we should know each other and i was like (laughs) Fuck me. <laughs> so tenuous. Uh, but like, you know, like people do that. They're like, oh, you should meet your fellow countrymen. Anyway, so I was like, all right, cool. And considering I'm I was, assuming you're not from a similar place. No, <laughs> well, we are. Like we're both from Dublin, but like different oh, okay. parts of Dublin. Okay. He's from the posh side. I'm from the very not posh side. Anyway, he won't mind me saying that. Uh, so we were stood there. And even though I was like, it was our bar, I was like, oh, cool. Let's get to know each other. So um, our office was just off the side of the, the party. I was like, oh, mate, i got a bottle of gin. Um, so we went into my office, sat at my desk, and I, I reached up into the into the ceiling where I'd hidden a bottle of gin. You know, like in those like old office places, uh-huh. you know, like the perfect tiles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hit, like, reached up there, and I reached around for a bunch of things that were there, and I was like, nope, not that, nope, not that, no, not that, nope, oh, there's the bottle of gin. Uh, <laughs> and then we just sat at my desk and like drank this half, like half a bottle of gin. We got absolutely trashed together and just started laughing with each other. 
and then kind of just became really good friends and so I started working there's a very long winded way of saying I've never formally uh, I am performance director for Dean's shows yeah. um, but I've never formally been like a part of the company yeah. but also like because of who I am and what I do, if I get, I get a lot of things flashed across my desk yeah, yeah. Um, of all different shapes and sizes. And if a project comes through, which is of a scale that I think is more appropriate for Rogue rather than with any of the other companies that I'm working for, mm-hmm. um, I will be like, this is this is the producer of me now, be like, oh, I'm really sorry. Yeah, no, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to move this to an entirely different company mm-hmm. and then call Dean and be like, yo, Dean, I've got your contract. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I'll pump that work through that. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's a, it's a formal, informal kind of relationship that we have. Um, but it works for both of us. Yeah. Um, because it means that I can work in other places and do things other ways. Uh, but Dean and I have made so many, and like also it just means that like Dean, when Dean and I want to work together, and get in a kind of creative space like making things like lampwriters, mm-hmm. like we have avenues and assets that we can call upon to do that yeah. um, because we just love making work together. Um, yeah, but then, yeah, I've spent six years at Little Line Entertainment making, built four crystal mazes, uh, Tomb Raider and Chaos Cats. Wow. Yeah. And I wanted to, because um, I'm well aware that time is, and there's, like I said before, there's a million things we could talk about. But um, you were involved in the Sainsbury's project, weren't you? Which is the only immersive piece that the Queen <laughs> herself, yeah. Jubes and all, yeah. has ever been to. So I just wanted to ask a little bit about yeah. sort of that yeah, project sure. and yeah. working on that. And then we'll talk a little bit about what you do now sure. here in this amazing building. Um, yeah, so I was brought on as creative director for that uh, on a freelance basis. So that was produced by a company named Proud Robinson, mm-hmm. uh, who are a creative agency do a lot of um, brand activations Mm -hmm. and marketing and stuff like that. Um, They're an amazing company. Um, They're based out of Brighton. Um, They're they're just the loveliest, nicest people. They're just so wonderful. Anyway, they um, just put a call out looking for, uh, they'd they'd kind of got this contract to do this. They couldn't say too much because everything was NDA'd and everything else. Mm -hmm. But they were like, oh, we, we were looking for somebody who can do immersive theatre. And I think they said directing or -hmm. or writing or both. I can't remember. It was Uh was so tenuous and so vague. (laughs) Uh, Someone who does fun stuff stuff. that people come through. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just, I just pinged off this message. Um, And it was only months later because at the time I was, I was, working with Crystal Maze and kind of building all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was only months later that I learned that I was like, oh, so, like when I when I like messaged you, they they were just bowled over. They were like, the guy from the Crystal Maze has just got in touch with us. Because they were like, that's a big deal. And I was like, yeah. is it? I mean, it's now like only since I've kind of left the company, I'm like, oh yeah, I did do a lot of weird things. And he is yeah, kind of yeah. cool, but like, you know, you design puzzles for a living and you run around mazes and like, you design gameplay. Like, and it's a total 80s fantasy. Yes, weird. Isn't weird. it? It's, anyway. It's, I remember so, watching on telly. And, yeah. I digress. Anyway, so they put out this call out <laughs> looking for a writer-director for immersive, for immersive theatre. So mm-hmm. I got in touch with them and I was like, wicked. Um, and then they brought me on and they were kind of being really vague about it. And then they were like, oh, actually, like we were in talks for about a week. And they were like, oh, actually, we're not going to, we've got this thing for the shopping centre. Mm-hmm. Not for a shopping centre, but for like a shopping brand. And I was like, oh, okay. It was like, oh, but um, it's just been delayed. So, uh, 
We've got another gig for you to do. So I ended up doing a gig for Harrods for them. Yes, I saw it. Was that a Christmas? Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, Harrods basically got themselves in a bit of a sticky situation a few years ago whereby um, people go to Santa's Grotto every year at Harrods. Yeah, like yeah. It's a family tradition yeah, well, for loads of, course, of people. Yeah, Bat and Hamleys, it's all, yeah. But then Harrods basically said... No, we're, we are going to do a grotto, but the only people who can come to it are high net worth individuals and also have an account with Harrods. Right. Um, so then they had to do this whole massive like PR backtracking campaign. <laughs> uh, so at which point they were like, oh, actually, no, we are going to put on the grotto and it's for everybody again. Sorry, like, we got that wrong. Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> we got wrong. So in order for them to appease the high net worth individuals that they uh, originally promised this thing to, they did right. a private experience. So then I ended up designing okay. that. So I was creative director on that and mm-hmm. I wrote this whole show, uh, which is like looking behind the, the magic of Harrods at Christmas and all this kind of stuff. Oh. And it was great because I got to take over the entirety of Harrods. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the entire building. They shut down the entire building for a weekend so that we could do this show. Wow. Yeah, yeah it was like... That is incredible. I know, it was great. Was inc- <laughs> and I'm assuming you probably had a fairly hefty budget. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and like you no know, skip diving on that one. Yeah, so I got to write this thing, and I got to direct it and hire the talent and all that kind of stuff. And I worked, and I was working with Proud Robinson, who are the most amazing production team ever. Mm. Um, so yes, yeah, so we got basically got the run of Harris and had control of the building for a weekend. It was just mad. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was totally mad. So then that gig finished, and I think the Sainsbury's thing picked back up again and in about two months time they kind of called me up and they went oh you know that thing that we originally wanted you to do that we delayed now that's happening um, oh. can you come in and have some chats and I was like yeah of course so I went into the offices and we were having some chat and they were like it's for Sainsbury's and I was like cool and they were like it's their 150th birthday mm-hmm. and I was like sounds great Mm. Uh, and they were like we are looking at venues at the moment but the top line level and this is uh, there's a woman named Jill Taylor um, who kind of was like executive producer across this whole thing Mm -hmm. so she came to me and she was like I've got this idea and if I get this venue what I want to do is like effectively tell the 150 year history of Sainsbury's Mm -hmm. the company Um, and she had this vision for like this street and this shop um, and then that was like half of the experience and the other half was like a museum kind of space. Uh-huh. And I was like, cool, what do you want? And she was like, well, that's as far as I've got, what can you do? Mm-hmm. So I was like, cool, give, like, if I get this contract, nice. like, I'll go away. So I went away and I started writing stuff. So I wrote 150 year history. Now I'm a hardcore Republican Irishman. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote 150 year history of Sainsbury's The Company, which genuinely is fascinating. Um, I went to school with someone whose parents yeah. were in, involved yeah. in Sainsbury's. I, genuinely, it's amazing. So I, I learned so much about this company. So I wrote a 150-year history of the company. At the same time, then wrote a 150-year history of the development of their products, mm-hmm. because that's also quite fascinating. Uh-huh. And then I couldn't tell, I, like both of those stories fed into each other for obvious reasons, but I couldn't tell those stories without also having to write a 150-year socio-economic and political story of the UK. Yeah, yeah. So well, I was yeah, like, of course, because that's the, the yeah. context which it <laughs> yeah. sits within. So, uh, so I had to write these three strands and put them um, and pull them all together. And then, so we kind of, Jill was like, I've got this idea for the shop. So I was like, cool, so we'll do a shop of the ages. So each product had a section. If you go back to like old-timey shops where 
each shop just had a thing. Yes. Like yeah, you had yeah. to go to the butchers to get your yeah, meat. Your you had to go to the dairy to get the dairy. And your baker and yeah. So it was like, but Sainsbury's was actually the shop that kind of did bring all that stuff together under one roof. Yes. So I found this quite fascinating. So each product that I wanted to tell the history and the development of was also set in a particular era. So we had, you know, the World War One era, interwar era, pre um, World War Two. Then mm-hmm. you had like kind of the early nineteen um, hundreds. Yeah. Then we had like eighteen something through. So I was kind of toying around with all of these different things, and then I kind of brought back this concept to them, and they were like, "Cool." So we have to also tell you this has to be really good. And I was like, "Why?" And this is in the boardroom at Sainsbury's head office, mm-hmm. and they went, "So um, thing we've not told you is the Queen is coming," and I was like, "You what?" And they're like, "So you've got to write the show for the Queen because." she's uh, you get like the royal seal they've got a royal seal from her so anyway and she's coming and on the day of the actual birth like there's a whole year long worth of activations for this Mm -hmm. celebration of 150 years of centuries but the the event that we're doing is the actual like birthday day the actual day day yeah and she's coming and she's gonna like cut a cake unveil a plaque oh and by the way the entire thing's being filmed for a BBC documentary that's being made so I was like what You're the like, fuck's oh, going on? that's a lot of extra pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So suddenly, like, but also thinking about that demographic, that's a slightly different audience. I'm assuming everything has to be approved as well by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, originally I was just that, writing yeah. this thing for like the public people to come through and yeah. learn about the company and learn the products and learn the history. And she is not the public. And then suddenly it was like, <laughs> "You're not writing." Well, you are writing for the public, but you've also got to write it for the Queen. So I was like, "Shit, the bed." Uh, <laughs> So it was an amazing experience. Genuinely, it's like it's it's it's. I've, I'm really. So do you know what the J Sainsbury, the J of Sainsbury's used to be? Do I? Because I don't. Oh, know. I, I mean, I did. Yeah, Is no, because it, it was Jacob I, or Joseph. 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 Yeah. Yeah, I did because I had to write a whole so used thing to be about. J, I remember back in the eighties, it was J yeah. Sainsbury's, and I can't remember when they actually dropped. Because Lord and Lady Sainsbury, who are the same age as the Queen, mm-hmm. um, like they came as well. So here's the really funny thing. I'm going to oh. digress because I need to get the story out. <laughs> right. So, I so I had about nine months to prepare for uh, this Sainsbury's thing. Uh-huh. So I was like working with Proud and we were writing and doing everything in the background. And then, so we'd kind of, we'd all worked together, we'd written this script and done all this kind of stuff. And then it came like closer and closer to the point where we had to like start bringing in performers. Um, but I couldn't tell them anything about the Queen. I was just like, it's for Sainsbury's. And like, you know what actors are like, they're like, it's a corporate gig, fine, yeah, whatever, Neil. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I need a bit of cash, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. I'll go, it sounds fun, trust me, it'll be fun. Um, <laughs> so eventually got everyone in place and then we had like our, we had like, three days of rehearsal I was on the first day of rehearsal which was about two weeks before the gig and I turned around and sit down everybody and I was like so I have to tell you all yes this is for Sainsbury's it is for 150th birthday but actually this show is for the Queen and everybody just was like are you taking the piss I'm like no she's no. there she's going to come it's going to be fine um, <laughs> but and this is where I had to caveat everything um, one of the things and again I can talk about this it's fine um, I think I can talk about it hopefully I can <laughs> during the entire process um, the various different wheels that were involved, like the, the stakeholders, like Sainsbury's, like Proud, like everybody, mm-hmm. um, mainly Sainsbury's who are the clients who are doing this, they're like, this is for the Queen, and we're building this whole experience, which is going to run for a week, but she's coming on the Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she comes, she's, because she's the Queen of England, Elizabeth Regina, she's going to come, she's going to walk through the lovely street, go into the shop, mm-hmm. and all of the actors may or may not be on the set and if they are on the set they will be standing there 
active but not active doing nothing saying nothing nobody's talking nobody's going to do a goddamn thing right so they're kind of just there to make set dressing effectively make the place look pretty yeah warm um, props and she's just going to walk through and then she's going to go into the museum bit and then she's going to walk through that and then there's going to be some speeches and then she's going to cut a cake and veil a plaque and then she'll leave and the entire the entire nine months I was working on this project I was going uh-huh uh-huh mm-hmm. knowing full well that I was confident in my work mm-hmm. and knowing for well what was going to happen. So I'd secretly written an entirely other show mm-hmm. um, that I didn't tell anyone about. Um, and I was armed and prepared with. So this was all kind of going. And this literally went up until, so she's coming on the Wednesday. So the, sh- the first show was on the Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first time we did it was for Lord and Lady Sainsbury. So the, the first show that we were doing was for Lord and Lady Sainsbury. Um, they're both in the 90s, lovely people. And mm-hmm. we did the Queen version of the show, which was, they walked through yeah. the street, the shop, and the museum. The actors were on the set, but they were just kind of like stood there, active but not active, nobody saying nothing, deathly quiet, not a lot of atmosphere. <laughs> and everything looked amazing. Yeah. And then they yeah. walked through. And then immediately after them, we did full show, which is an hour-long experience, and all of the actors are active. And the audience for that was the entire board for Sainsbury's. Wow. Yeah, which is quite amazing. And the rest of the Sainsbury's family, the actual family. I was going to say, because it's loads of yeah, yeah, yeah. family. Like the actual family, all the, like mm. the, the sons, the daughters, the nieces, the nephews, all of them. Um, wow. Some of which work for the company, some of them don't. Mm-hmm. But they're all like shareholders, stakeholders, everything else. Yeah. So like super, super important people. Yeah. Um, so they went through, had the full experience, immediate, and I mean the second that they walked out of the show, they came running up to Jill and myself being like, our mum and dad, yeah. our mum and dad have to go through again and do what we just did because they didn't get that experience. Mm-hmm. So we were like, cool. So we sent through Lord and Lainsby. At the exact same time, they're also like, also, we know we talked about the Queen just having the boring version, but now she needs to do like the full version. Mm-hmm. So I was like, cool, no worries. I've already written it. I've um, already sorted it. So I only went back to the actors and I was like, by the way, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 you're now all going to meet the Queen. Um, and then on Wednesday, the Queen came through and she did wow. the full show. She spoke to all of the actors. She is hilarious. Uh-huh. She's genuinely like one of the funniest people. Um, I've got a photo of like wow. with the Queen. Um, it was mad. So yeah, and then the next day, the as she exited, like the world's media was on the opposite side of the road, and mm. we we had this art gallery in Covent Garden, which is a gallery space that you can rent, and we built it to look like the the shop and everything else. Um, but there was a photo of her snapped coming out, stood next to a general someone in the army um, also then stood next to uh, the chief executive the CEO of Sainsbury's and two of my lovely actors um, stood on the front door and that photograph was on the front page of every single UK newspaper the next day wow Um, so like that's pretty nice for your CV yeah I mean it's opened some doors (laughs) I was going to say that must have must have done that I was lucky to be in that environment and I was lucky to get that gig and um but that's the thing, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the role of brands, about the role of the commercial yeah. sector. And most of us came from this sort of fringy underground. And I think a lot of the culture is still there, despite things like being on the front of every newspaper. There still seems to be this sort of dismissive <laughs> attitude of the sector, which is so weird. And in, in terms, yeah, so I'm trying to unpack that because I think... Brands are important because I think they can bring us new audiences, they can raise the profile of our sector and do lots of, I'm just like preaching now, lots of different things in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And also facilitate other work Mm -hmm. 
to happen yep. as well. And I think all of those things are important. So that's what's so exciting to see effectively a corporate gig yeah. raising the profile of the sector yeah. in that way. But, but, but also a couple of gigs aren't less. But here's, well, but here's the thing. It's like that was, you know, that was an event yeah. for a huge corporation. Mm-hmm. But I did that as a freelance individual. Exactly. Um, working on behalf of Proud Robinson, who are a creative agency. Yeah and brand marketing company. And bringing all like, of those principles, all of that yeah, yeah. history and experience that you have to bear upon that. Just because it's a corporate gig doesn't make it not a valid creative experience. Dr. Joanna Bucknell, I am a uh, creator of work. I'm an artist. Yeah. Um, and regardless of whether it's 2022 or you know we're working in an Elizabethan court, Mm-hmm. As an artist, I make work for princes and paupers. Yes. Because that's what I do. Yeah. And anybody who kind of... No, I won't go to war on this one. But <laughs> the best way I can put it is is that I've worked... I was an associate of Theatre Delicatessen. Yeah. Uh, which is a registered charity. It's the operating wing of a charity called Curving Road. One of the main things that I had to do when I worked for Theatre Delicatessen was contact landlords and get them to give them us their buildings for free <laughs> on a charitable basis because we get they get business rates reduction. Yes. And what do artists get? A big fucking building that they can just make work in. Yes. With no red tape. Yes. Yeah. And people used to, and that's why, like, when I, when I was doing that work, and you know, like we had control of over so many kind of rehearsal rooms or studios and things like that. Other people will call me up and be like, yo, can I rent a rehearsal room for you? And I'm like, yeah, wicked, it's £8 an hour. Mm-hmm. Other people will call me up and be like, yo, Neil, I need a rehearsal room for a day, but I don't have any money. I'm like, it's all right, we're a charity, have it for free. Mm-hmm. Um, now, with Immersive Everywhere, we've got a whole charitable wing that we're yep. setting up right now. Wow, okay. Um, and we're setting up one of our venues specifically to be a community-based mm-hmm. environment. Mm-hmm. We're setting up our own art centre. It's down in Dulwich. Um, it's wow. a castle. Uh, it's the it's the it's the building that the the guy who invented Bovril, um, he, oh, amazing. he built this massive house which is a castle. Ostentatious, uh, typically. Aust- it, I'm assuming Victorian ostentatious. It's ama- it's genuinely amazing. Um, <laughs> but we're in the middle of setting up this entire charity wing. We're going to have wow. our own art center, oh, I love which will be entirely supported by. But this is the thing that will be entirely supported either through um, private funding, mm-hmm. which will go through into that. Or it'll be subsidised with national money. I'm still, we're still working out the kind of yeah. uh, which way it's going to work. Um, but also it'll be attached to all of the other commercial work mm-hmm. that we do do. And, you know, you're talking like... <laughs> I designed four crystal mazes, the two made a live experience and, t- and like made an augmented reality go-karting experience. No, I was a part of those teams. I'm not saying I'm not taking full credit for everything that I did there. But like I was a part of those teams and I designed a lot of the work that kind of went into that. You know, I am a commercially led human being, but I've mm-hmm. I come from a, I come from a, the reason, okay, I'm going to do this in one sentence. The reason why I ended up making the type of work that I do is because when I first started doing this, back in the days when I was working with Natalie and Joe and everyone else and blah, 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 blah is that nobody else would fund us, especially the Arts Council. Uh-huh. So we had to figure out how to make money. Yeah. Absolutely. So don't. You know, we still of, have to eat and put roofs over our heads yeah. and all, and there's, there should be no shame in that. And actually, the more success and money that comes into the sector, the broader and the more lively and the more vibrant it will be. Also, love creating jobs and giving people jobs yes. and making work. Yes, giving like. people jobs, I mean, in the creative sector. 
It's a joy, surely. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to just round up by there's two quick things I wanted to ask you. So the first is, and I, I think don't anything want... we've learned out of this is that we can't do anything quickly. <laughs> I don't want to go down a massive rabbit hole, but obviously in your current post, immersive. Yeah. What do you think of the word immersive? I ask everyone I speak to, I know you've given me that, everyone gives me that look of, dear God, don't ask me that, please. Okay. Um, I, I mean, so, I have so many different feelings about it, but mm -hmm. the, the first things that kind of jumped to my mind is, uh, last year, Noah, uh, from uh, No Proscenium mm -hmm. um, worked with I think Andy Barnes uh, anyway they put out this really amazing thing and it was when uh, yourself and Andy and Owen and were, were kind of building this immersive experience network and they uh, put out this like the kind of breakdown of all the different types of immersive work yes and I instantly like picked up the phone and called Andy and I was like thank you so much for doing that because I was like this is great like here's all the different sectors but and it's huge and there's definitely ones we've we've missed yeah sectors within sectors in it so, but yeah. like you know the general public don't understand that and they don't see that no. uh, which is but frustrating because there's 10 that's quite nice at the moment yeah, yeah. 10 pillars yeah. of, of immersive uh, practice uh, so there's that so I'm really grateful for that um, a bugbear that I have at the moment is that anybody who owns a projector or is basically the manufacturer sorry I actually say anyone who is a manufacturer mm -hmm. of a projector um, now seems to think and is I'm talking about Panasonic uh, uh -huh. is, is trying to basically control the narrative saying that immersive means digitally projected art like the Frida yeah. Kahlo works the the, the Van Gogh's I, the I was going to say and they're basically trying to control this narrative and basically saying and like there's lots of other artists I suppose like I'm, I'm talking about more kind of traditional form of media artists mm -hmm. like people who would consider like you know the type of people who are going to put on like an exhibition show yeah yeah, yeah. like at a gallery space uh -huh. has kind of went off oh, I say if it's immersive then more people will come through whereas I always just thought that art was interactive and immersive anyway yeah like, you know that's the reason why I love Martin Creed Martin Creed is like one of the best artists in the world well, going, going um, to a museum or a gallery yeah it has always been an immersive experience because it's a special place set aside aside from the usual yeah. reality yeah to be in close proximity and to engage with yeah, like Creed artifacts won the, and things. Creed, Creed won the Turner, Martin Creed won the Turner Prize in 2003 for a piece of work called The Lights Turning On and Turning Off Again. Uh -huh. um, he won the largest art prize in the world and it was an empty gallery with white walls, white floor, white ceiling and every 30 seconds the lights would turn off mm -hmm. and 30 seconds later the lights would turn on, on again. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it it is fucking hilarious and absolutely amazing. And the audacity around that. Yeah. But in 2003, nobody called that an immersive artwork. But if somebody was to do that again today, they'd be like, oh, it's, immersive. it's immersive. So there's, there's that but kind the of... The audacity links right back to the very first thing that you were talking about, which is surrealism. Yeah. And I think that playful audacity yeah. really runs under everything that yeah. we, we do yeah. in some ways. So... There's there's that argument. There there is another thing to be said, which is I personally have never ever termed my work interactive. No, uh, immersive. Immersive, me neither. <laughs> um, if anything, I've termed it interactive. So like yeah, when we did Lamplighters, it was an interactive comedy show. Um, mm -hmm. In the original instances of the Crystal Maze, it was an interactive game show. And Nat and Joe um, feel exactly the same yeah, yeah, yeah. about that. They've never really called their work immersive. Yeah. Um, because when you say it's interactive X. People go, oh, I understand what that is. Or like, like, as I'm about to buy a ticket, I can kind of understand what I'm buying a ticket to. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you've you've given me some tenets. Whereas, <laughs> when you just say immersive, people are like, I have no idea what that is. So, 
I'm now I'm just really confused. Well, there's and then there's, then there's the other type of people who just hear immersive and they're like, it must be cool, so therefore they're I have to be go. there. just going to go, yes, yes. It, so, ha- it, has, it either repels because a lot of people just go, dear God, no, I don't want to be pulled out of the audience. Yeah. Because there's a real fear, I think, around that. Or people are like, oh yeah, it's absolutely, it's a massive, so yeah. it's, I have to be in it. Which, all of this sounds pretty rich mm. for a guy who works for a company called Immersive Everywhere. <laughs> 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 but... But the difference is, is that because of the work that, so I, I work really, so Brian is chief creative officer and I'm creative director. Um, like we work really, really closely together as like the whole company kind of structured like top down. We all work very closely together, but there's so many different strands to like the, the work that Brian and I are developing at the moment. Some of it, which is in pre-production, other of it, which is just conceptual. Mm-hmm does spread across those 10 pillars that you mentioned like mm, there are yeah, yeah. elements of av in there there's a whole sound thing there's uh there's uh, what i started terming the other day uh there is the traditional immersive format mm-hmm. um and i think anybody who like so in terms of what yes, I, he's very very yeah. much tradi- traditional immersive traditional immersive isn't it um traditional immersive secret cinema uh you know ah, you said it ah, <laughs> I'll just put in shunt as well for good measure. Yeah, just for good measure. And then how about I mention Heist, which is a show that we all did. And there you go, well done. Well done. Full anyone, time. anyone who had a point in front of them is now necking it. I've mentioned all the shows, all the companies. Brilliant. Well done, Neil. Uh, yeah. And this this is so, I mean, this space is incredible that we're sat in. I can't really unless you've been, and if you have been, yeah. excellent. But it's so hard to explain because there's actually two shows here. You've got Gatsby. Yeah. And Doctor Who's Doctor downstairs. Who's currently being striped. Yeah. Striked. Struck. 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 Yeah. We're doing a ghetto. We're moving <laughs> You're it. You're doing a ghetto. We're moving it. <laughs> but it is disconcerting because not that far away from us are, are angels, which are... Really quite terrifying. <laughs> I don't know if I'm supposed to say No, you're fine. Not, yeah, the Weeping Angels are downstairs. The Weeping Angels are downstairs. Um, so yeah, but then we've got that, and then Choir of Man, which is a musical that uh, the company produces. That's currently in Coventry, then going to Edinburgh, and then coming back to London for an open-ended run. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are versions of Gatsby that may be popping up somewhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I was going to say, because we were always in that funny space, I'm going to ask you what kind of what's next and what people need to look out for but i know that there's always a tangle of kind of ndas of secrets of all it's of not this. even ndas like if we were speaking privately i'd like get you to sign an, a, an, an yeah, NDA. yeah but the fact that there's a microphone between the two of yeah, us and say, we broadcast it, yeah the rest of the industry then there's loads <laughs> that i can't say obviously there's loads <laughs> that i can't say um what i can say comfortably is that um <laughs> the next two years of our pipeline is like and our diary is solid um, there are things that might kind of jiggle around by a few months, but like we know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like everyone's very busy and everyone's working across multiple projects uh, because we have multiple teams working across multiple projects. So yeah. we are not not busy. Yes. Um, we are working at breakneck speed <clears throat> to get various elements of our work out there. Um, Peaky Blinders opens in mm-hmm. 10 days because mm-hmm. uh, it's the 14th of June. It's so exciting. Um, so that opens on the 24th of June, uh, three weeks previous. And that's in and then Camden, isn't That's it? in Camden Market above uh, our pub, which is called The Farrier, uh, next to our rooftop cocktail bar, which is called The Lucky Club. And is that um, the hope of um, long term, from what I understand? Oh, yeah, 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 that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's going to be a... That's it, that's a long running show. <clears throat> um, I've seen the set, the set looks amazing. You should have one in Birmingham. I mean, literally... <laughs> Every time there's a Peaky Blinders event in Birmingham, the tickets are gone in like 30 seconds. I don't want to say too much about the creative on uh, 
the Peaky Show. Um, but uh, I've read the script. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, I've seen the set. It's incredible. The designs are amazing. And I'm really excited about the set design for this one, particularly, um, which uh, it, it's it's very, very clever. And mm-hmm. uh, if you're a theatre maker and an immersive impresario or immersive head it really just very cleverly blends the kind of the two worlds nice and, but the reason why I don't want to see the, the creative for where um, why it's in Camden and if you know Peaky's the show will make total sense ah uh, okay it's okay. perfect it's, it's, it's genuinely the most perfect location for right. the show I see because um, it's right next to the canal okay. it's in Camden okay okay I- um, I am a massive fan of the show yeah, so yeah. I know exactly now why that might be there um, <laughs> so it's a really beautiful show that opens in 10 days and is that in collaboration with the BBC then in terms of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so that's with the BBC and Stephen Knight who's the creator of the show mm-hmm. um, yeah Perfect. Uh, so Peaky's opens in 10 days um, we know the full slate of what's happening and then we're currently working on loads of other stuff kind of we know the yeah, we know the next like three to five years. What's the best way um, then for people to keep up with what you're doing? Because they wouldn't necessarily, Immersive Everywhere wouldn't necessarily be the way that people might recognise the shows, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense, yeah, because so, we're kind of like the... <clears throat> it's the same way of like, no one knows who Little Line Entertainment is. It's a company that we're Yeah, but they know, all know Crystal Maze. Crystal Maze, but yeah. like, the Crystal Maze, like... It's the same company who made Tomb Raider, blah, blah, blah. It's yeah, all this kind of weird yeah. dichotomy and stuff. So, um, I mean, Immersive Everywhere, it, we do have social media accounts. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you have a web, do you have a website? We definitely have a website. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I can put all of those links. Yeah. I can attach all the links um, so click on them. Yeah, I'll send you them. Uh, again, I'm I'm quite active on the socials, mm-hmm. um, including LinkedIn, Facebook. Don't add me on Facebook though, because it's kind of like that's me and my mates. Yeah, if you just want to no, see loads no, of photos, no, exactly. If you want to see loads of photos of me cycling and or pissing about on a canal boat, uh, which is where I live, then, Go for it, then yeah. like, try and frame me on Facebook. <laughs> if I don't know you, you are you all get accepted. But like, I'm, I'm very I'm well. very active on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, yeah. Um, and mm. I put a lot of stuff out there. Um, or if you do connect me on LinkedIn, just ask for my email. I'll give you my email address, and then we can have a chat. Mm-hmm. Like we did the immersive summit thing with you Absolutely. a couple of weeks ago, and then I think I told everyone my email address, and like suddenly my inbox blew up. I know, I, like, I know. But I'm a very collaborative person, and yes. I need to. I'm in the process of because we've got so many different projects on our slate right now. I'm meeting lots of different creatives, so I need to find new lighting designers. I need to find new sound designers. I need to find set and scene designers, costume designers. And so if you are one of those things and based in the UK, yeah. please yeah. reach out to Neil. Sorry, Neil, you're in no, it's fine. going to go crazy now. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be mad. <laughs> and like, because I, because I, you know, my specialities are in writing, directing, and then because I do a lot of producing and cre- building creative teams, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky to be in the position that I am in here. And like Brian and Louis are amazing human beings. Mm-hmm. They're the kindest, warmest, nicest. Brian, I and haven't really met Louis by Brian I have yeah, Brian is really inspirational really um, inspirational as a and human being just great leaders yeah. um, and it's nice to kind of and really know the theatre yeah. inside and out of both kinds right from traditional yeah, yeah you know West I think they were born theatre producers yeah I think they came out of, of like the womb and were like yeah. so uh, let's make a show <laughs> Uh, they're very good they're I very agree. kind and yeah I'm, I'm very humble and I'm very grateful to kind of because I, I was talking to people at, at the summit recently and I think one of the things that kind of like came out of the back of it is like there's a lot of us in this industry who like start a company and 
like have their own companies mm-hmm. and I've never really had my own company yeah. I've always just worked with everybody else and mm-hmm. collaborated with everybody else and had roles within other people's companies so I'm grateful that you got me on to like chat about all this kind of stuff but like I am a creative and I've built incredible shows but I've always been part of a team and a part of a network yeah um, but that's the thing I think you've been central to a lot of the different sort of things that have happened yeah, and the yeah, different yeah. companies and the different folk who've sort of generated and built this sector to where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's why I think it's so lovely to be able to talk to you about that because you have an insight into a lot of those different approaches. Oh, like yeah. From from fringy to kind oh, of like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when we... Like, I remember, like, when we started... Like, one of the first shows I ever made was for no money. Um, and it was probably to one person. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like, to then kind of now making multi-million pound shows that sprawl across that two buildings. That the Queen buildings. comes to. And the Queen I comes mean, to. Yeah, 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 it's it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know it's really weird because you're just like, but Neil, you are from the Republic of Ireland. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, that must anyway, be challenging. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's, been, it's been a really crazy journey, but like I'd be nowhere without the collaborations that I've kind of, you know, and the people that I've got to know and mm-hmm. the people that I've worked with through the course of the years. Um, you know, I, I give as good as I take and, yeah. um, you know, I've built so many wonderful friendships through the course of this entire thing. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it like, we, <laughs> yeah, we all drink together. We all talk to each other and it's just really nice to see everybody. And I'm really, I'm really humble. And I'm really grateful. I like, and I'm really. Yeah. And it's humbling to sit here with you on a set <laughs> and to know this is work. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna cry. Which, um, yeah, so it, it's you know, with, I mean, in some ways, this space is is as theatrical as it gets, really, isn't it? Yeah. Red velvet drapes. Yeah. Gold, gold lettering, <laughs> leather, musty smell of being inside an old yeah. building. Yeah. And um, this is our work. Yeah. So I think we're quite privileged to be able to do that. Well, but, it has been absolutely incredible. And there's like, I didn't even turn my page, but I've got like a whole other page of- I'm sorry. We'll do it again. No, well, that, that's my excuse is the way that things move and the fact that they move on constantly as well and different things evolve means yeah. I can always come back and talk to people yeah. about what they're doing now. So if you are a creative and you want to be potentially involved, reach out to Neil on LinkedIn is probably the best way. Yeah, and I'll just give you rather my Rather than email. being inundated on Facebook. Yeah. Where you have Again, it's just, it's, just, it's just me cycling. <laughs> if you places. find me on Facebook, all you're going to see is pictures of my toddler and cooking and baking. Yeah. I'm really sad. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, I can't post pictures of things like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and we're all the same. And if you want to find out about shows and things like that that are happening, I'm assuming... Um, Everything goes on like Design My Night and In Time Out and all. No, of- we have our own ticketing company. You have your own. T- give me the link to that. <laughs> Just go onto our website. Go uh, onto the website. So yeah. our website is immersiveeverywhere.com. Um, and all of our shows are listed there. You're able to book directly through that platform. Perfect. Um, yeah. That's much better then. So you can find out yeah. about what's on and where you can find it right there so thank you very much I know you are super busy as um, we're both rushing off to other meetings when we finish talking so thank you very much it's always a pleasure thank you I really hope you enjoyed that episode it was absolutely incredible to be back in theatre land 
back in basements that have that smell. Anyone who loves immersive theatre or makes immersive theatre knows exactly what I'm talking about. That is entirely our spiritual home is being underground (laughs) in various ways. And uh, a huge thank you to Neil for hosting me in everything immersive spaces. There were two different sets that I got to go around, which was really, really incredible. And I had the best morning. So thank you ever so much for hosting me down there on Bond Street, which is very exciting. Um, I wanted to give you a little update on the live Immersive Experiences Summit that we had on the 31st of May. Um, The whole community, it would seem, were there and those that weren't there pretty much wanted to be there. So it was very exciting, hugely successful day and really demonstrated the need um, for the community to come together in a much more visible and a much more structured way. I can't say too much at this stage, but what I can assure you is if you keep your ears peeled, there are some huge plans and grand plans and yeah, exciting things in the pipeline. So as and when I can talk about those, I absolutely will. I'll share those with you. Um, In terms of episodes, I've got lots and lots and lots of people sort of lined up to talk to me. It's just finding the time um, to get those done. I'm going to try and get into spaces with people as much as I possibly can. Um, But I've had uh, a challenging time sort of family wise at the moment. So it's just sort of juggling all of that and building it in. But when I can, I'll go and be with people in their spaces. And when I can't, I'll probably still try and get to talk to them, even if it is over Zoom. So lots and lots again of exciting chats in the pipeline. Um, And hopefully keep these episodes coming out monthly to you so that we have that sort of regular content. Right. Uh, So as usual, I absolutely love to hear from you, whether you are someone you think I should be talking to, please do reach out and let me know so that we can uh, connect and maybe I can come and chat with you. Or if you're just someone who listens and you want to share your thoughts, there's lots of different ways that you can do that. Um, You can contact me on my work email, you can probably just Google me and be able to find me. Honestly, there's loads of different ways to reach out or even just comment underneath where you listen to this and I'll see those as well. So until next month, um, Bye-bye.